Hi, and welcome to the Core Church Podcast. Our vision is to experience Christ's heart and to share His heart with others. Are you ready to learn more about Him? Let's dive into this week's message. Let's do it today. uh, It is the last week of our series, Anointed. Someone say anointed. Anointed. Uh, I I think this is my favorite one. Are you all ready for this? So... I don't want to pull the train by myself. Will you guys jump in? Let's push this together all the way, all the way to the very end. Let's do it together. Um, I think that this is, as Judd said, I think it's going to change the course. I was fired up this week personally, spiritually, uh, from this revelation that I feel that I've had for myself even. So I just want to share share it with you. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about obedience. I'm going to say obedience. We talk about this a lot, but we're going to talk about it a lot. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We're going to be talking about this a lot. Let's get it started. We're in the anointed from field to throne. This is week number six. Um, My goodness, last week. Did we talk about friendship last week? Yeah, that was a big one. That was good. Yeah. Covenant friendship. I love that. What it's like to be in the body of believers. I uh, drove in today. I saw Chris Corrales with his golf clubs, and I was like, wow, I just love our church, man. I do. I just love our church. I love being here. I love seeing everybody. I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely do. Here we go. Why we wrote this series. I don't want one soul. I do not want one soul to miss out on what God has for them. That's why I wake up every day and do everything that I do. I don't want to miss. I don't want one soul to miss it. If you're here my voice today, I don't want you to miss the absolute mind-breaking journey, the the journey that you couldn't even picture for yourself. I don't want you to miss out. That's why I encourage you. That's why I have fun hanging out with you. That's also why I challenge you and get very real with you. This is why I do everything I do. I'm committed to seeing the gold happen in your life. Because Jesus promised it. I've come that you may have misery. No, I've come that you may have life. Go ahead, put this up there. That you may have life and life to the full. To have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. I love that. That's an incredible promise. Now some of the the believers in the house, they're like, oh, give me four, five, six cups. No. When you're overflowing, it's not for the edification or the benefit of yourself. We will learn in in a couple moments that we are overflowing We are full for the service of others, for the sake of others. So God fills us up so that we can then pour ourselves out and everything just overflows. Nick Miller wakes up like Energizer Bunny. I get here and I pour everything out. That's what we all have. That's the call that we all have. Y'all with me today? Everyone good? Everyone good? Okay. The gift of life, the gift that Jesus is offering us, this overflowing life, it does come with a call to a great service. You're not overflowing for the sake of yourself. You're overflowing for the sake of the kingdom. Amen, church? That's why you're overflowing. Your business is going to be overflowing, not so that you're wonderfully rich. Of course, God is going to bless you, though. But it's overflowing so that you may build the kingdom in such a beautiful way. You have energy. You have giftings to serve everything that God has blessed you with. This overflowing life is entirely designed to be poured out. Amen? 
You want evidence of that? Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this. For it's by grace. A lot of people think that grace is like our, our out card. Yay, we're not bad anymore. No, grace is also an empowering agent. For by grace you have been saved, empowered in faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of work. Someone say amen. Yeah, yeah, this is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for these works that he has designed and prepared for you to do. This is not an accident. And he's going to lift you up, encourage you, fill you up until you're overflowing so that you can go and do these good works. That's what this all is all about. I feel like I find a lot of believers who feel pretty empty. And my thing that I would ask them is, are you serving and are you pouring yourself out? I would say the most frustrated believers are the ones that focus entirely on self. The most free believers, the ones who are experiencing the fullness of joy, are the ones who are pouring themselves out. So, we're in this anointed series, and we know this word, and this word, if you're in church for a little bit, that sounds very churchy. You don't go to Subway and be like, wow, this sandwich is anointed. That's not normal conversation, normal dialogue. And so you hear this word anointed, you know that it implies maybe something great, something special. And sometimes I don't always feel so special. Can I, an ordinary person, born in Monroeville, PA, nothing crazy about me, I lived on the street that I grew up in, moved one house over. <laughs> the other time we moved, it was up the street four seconds away and then back down. Can I do anything great? Can an ordinary person do something great? Yes, and I love that. I say this every week. We get in the church, we all look at each other, and we know the answer is yes. So we go, as faithful little Christians, we go, yeah, we can do it. Then Monday hits, and you don't feel so special car breaks down and you don't feel like anything's going to work. Conversation with your spouse happens and you don't know where you're at. Bank account doesn't look too hot. So can I do a great work with an ordinary life? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. Why? Because Jesus tells you who you are. 1 Peter 2, 9. Someone say, I am. I am a chosen people. Last week we talked about how this is plural. You are, you are, all of you are a chosen people, a royal, not just priest, but a priesthood. We all are. If you confess and profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is who you are. You are royal. You have authority. You, you are blessed and highly favored. You are are strong you are a conqueror and a victor yes you are but in the same breath you're a part of the priesthood called for a great service to humbly raise up the church what a beautiful beautiful pairing of the two strong yet humble that's who you are so if you're ever in question, if the world hits at you and you're like can I do anything great yes you can because you are this Bank account doesn't change this. Work doesn't change this. 
relationships, friendships, don't change this, ever. This is who you are. Amen, church. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies. That's the next year. Good luck. Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You aren't just a royal priesthood to sit on your hands. You're a royal priesthood to go and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out. Amen, church. I don't feel like a priest, though. Yeah, that's that's a different type of thing, right? I'm just a normal person. I go to my nine to five. I don't really feel like a priest. Anyone ever feel like, I don't really feel like a priest, though. Nick, come on now. What does this mean? Well, let's talk about the Old Testament context, and then we'll talk about how that applies to you and me. In order to be a priest, you had to be consecrated. Someone say consecrated. That's a super churchy word for being set apart, okay? So what would happen is there would be an act, something to be done to you, to your life, that would set you apart from everyone else. So in order to be a priest, you had to be consecrated, set apart for the work of ministry, And if you weren't, it was dangerous because you were handling that which was holy. And so I want to give you a picture of what it looked like in Exodus chapter 29. Go ahead, you can put this up here. Aaron was uh, a part of the priesthood and his sons were carrying on the lineage. And look at what happened to set these people apart. To set Aaron and his lineage apart. To consecrate them. You shall take some of the blood. Someone say blood. Yeah. I love that. You say me. You say me. Mm. Oh, the blood being spilled. I mean, we're going to be taking communion today. I want this to mean something completely different for you when you realize that you take and drink the blood that has been spilled for you. This is right here, my friends. The blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil. Someone say oil. And you would sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments. So they would throw it at you on his, on his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. This was part of the consecration process. Now, we're not going to do anything weird at Core Church and just start whipping oil around, okay? That's not how this is going to go. But nonetheless, you see the picture that something happened to set Aaron and his lineage apart. They were to now be the priest because they were anointed. So... After much study, I want to paint it like this. This is Nick Miller's definition. It's not the most perfect definition ever, but I think it's something that you and I can understand. If you don't know what anointed is, it is this. To be equipped and positioned. Someone say, by God's hand. By God's hand. Not by your skill. Not by your capacity or your works. Not by someone else's dream or vision for your life. I see a lot of pastors going and claiming a direction over someone's life that they ought not to claim. It's by God's hand for a great service. This is what it means to be anointed. Equipped in position by God's hand for a great service. That's what it is. I love that. And so then, how are you and I anointed? Wonderful question. I want to look and... uh, I want to take a look at some of the words that we find in the text to really understand what this means for you and I. In the Old Testament, the word was masach. Someone say masach. John, can you say masach for all of us? There you go. Exactly like that. I love it. 
And that was to smear, to spread a liquid. So whenever you see in the Bible that someone was being anointed, Masah, they would take this oil, this big jar of oil, they would pour it on their head and they would smear it everywhere. This was also a term whenever you build a boat, uh, you would have some, you would put wood and it would curve and you would make it all perfect, but there would still be little, little parts where there would be leaks. And what you would do is you would massage, you would take tar and spread tar across the boat. So that way no leaks would happen. So that's what happens. Literally a spreading of an oil. And then the New Testament context, creo, someone say creo, creo. And that was implied to, to put on or to give Christians the gifts or the presence of the Holy Spirit. Literally putting it on like a robe, okay? And so what was happening for you and for me now in the New Testament context, because again, we're not throwing and sprinkling them this little stuff anymore. Essentially what God has done is he takes his hand, someone say his hand, he smears his hand over us and anoints us with the Holy Spirit. He spreads his presence all over us. Guys, I know I'm preaching. Y'all awake today. Let's go. Pull this train along with me. He smears his hand over us and anoints us with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's like today. His Spirit all over you. We say it week in and week out that anointing and the Holy Spirit, they are inseparable. Where you find the anointing, you will find the Holy Spirit. They are always together. Even in the Old Testament. Look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 12 through 13. The Lord said, now, <laughs> David was going to be anointed to be king. This was going to be his appointment. God was going to equip him and position him to do so. And all of a sudden, Samuel, the prophet at the time, he goes to Jesse's house. Sons one through seven don't make it. And then finally, finally, David shows up after being in the field. And God says, arise. Someone say, anoint him. Anoint him. Take this oil and spread it all over him. This is going to be the king of Israel. This is the guy. So he took the horn of the oil, anointed him in the midst, Matzach, him in the midst of his brothers. And what? The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. This man was anointed to be king. Amen, church? And so that's what we're studying today. The whole point of this series is to survey David's course from field to throne, surveying his life so that we can learn about what it is to walk the anointed life. Because I think some of us, we know this word and we, we've heard it in Christian context, but I think we have a lot to learn about it. Anyone else with me? This whole series has been life-changing for me. And so today we're going to be talking about obedience. If you all want to, you can go ahead and get your book ready. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 15. And we're taking a little bit of a turn because I know we're surveying the life of David, but David couldn't be David without Saul being Saul. So we're going to learn something a bit different. But I want to, I want to communicate this. And I think we, we saw that scripture. We have life, life, and more life. Life to the overflowing. I think the church, we all, we all want the benefit of the anointed life. Am I crazy? I want to be anointed. I want to do great things. Am I the only one? Don't we all want to do great things? I want to be the best business leader in the world. I want to be the anointed father that I'm called to be. I want to be incredible. 
I think I speak for all of us. Now, again, not all of y'all are jazz hands Nick Miller. But whatever it is that is in your hand, you want to be extraordinary at it. Don't you want it to be blessed and fruitful? We all want that. When we read this scripture, John 10, 10, we all are like, give me all of this, please. I want to be overflowing. Yes, yes, yes. Make my life overflowing right now. And there are preachers who go at this all the time. And this is not a bad thing. God absolutely promises that your life is going to be overflowing. So you can take it to the bank that it's going to be overflowing. Your, your marriage is going to be fruitful. Your, your relationships are going to be blessed. Your, any work that you put your hands to, it's going to be supernaturally favored by God. You're going to grow. Your character is going to change. Everything about you, whenever you're walking with God, when you're walking the anointed life, it's going to be overflowing, church. Y'all know that? Believe it. That's a promise. There's a problem, though. My question to you is this. For those who want the anointed overflowing life, are you then prepared to do everything that is required of the anointed life? And this is where... I feel that the church sometimes gets it wrong because we preach, preach, preach the ideal, preach the dream, preach the dream, and then Monday comes and hits you in the face. <laughs> we preach the dream, preach the dream. The slaves are going to be set free in Exodus. We're going to cross this water, preach the dream, preach the dream, and you forget about the 40 years of wandering. We preach the dream, preach the dream all the time. And yet we don't equip people with the understanding that this journey is hard. And the anointed life comes with many hardships. And especially when God is going to call you to do something, you are going to have to be obedient. Someone say obedient. Even when it's terrible. Even when you feel like you've had enough. Even when you feel like it's over. And God would not call you or tell you to do something that he himself has not done. Philippians chapter 2 says it like this. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming what? To the point of death on a cross. It says in scripture that I have not said a word that my father has not told me to say. I have not made a move that my father has not taught me or told me to move. This man, Jesus Christ himself, was completely 100% obedient to the father's will. With no mistake. And there were good moments, moments where people were healed. But I think if you look at the course of Jesus, I think there were moments that were tumultuous and so I can preach the dream I can preach the dream but I, I feel that today and the last week of this anointed series I want to preach the obedience that you need to get to the dream I need to teach you about the obedience that's required before the position comes the church wants all of heaven but none of the hardships 
We want all of heaven, but none of the hardship. And if you think that the obedient thing that he's going to call you to do is nice things, has anyone ever been called to be overwhelmingly generous even when the bank account doesn't look like it? Has anyone ever been in Giant Eagle called to pray for this one person who doesn't look like you, might be a little bit stanky? You got to pray. Has anyone ever been in worship? Maybe you're on worship team and your knees were shaking, but you needed to speak. Has anyone ever said, I don't have a gifting with kids, but I know that that ministry needs help? give up my Sunday. No, no. I just didn't have a good week. You want, all, you want all of heaven, but none of the hardship. You want that eternal glory that that man received, Jesus Christ himself received? You be obedient even unto the point of death. Peter understood this and he actually said, I'm not worthy of the death that Jesus had, so hang me upside down. It's on the other side of obedience. So we talked about this earlier that the Holy Spirit and anointing go hand in hand. I want to blow your mind. This blew my mind this week. Anointing and obedience go hand in hand because obedience and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. So you will not find anointing where there is no obedience. Why? Because the Holy Spirit won't be there. Go ahead, put this up here. Peter and the apostles answered, we must what? I don't have to preach the word. It just does it itself. You just put it up there. You know, just go ahead, Pastor. You just do the thing. We must obey God rather than men. That's a big problem in the church. Some of us obey the vision of men. Some of us make all of our decision according to what people are going to think or feel of us. You find yourself quite often that people are Lord over your lives and not the Lord himself. Anyways, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He's the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. Whoa, that last line, whom is given, whom God has given to those who feel good. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who God has given to those who feel good? No. Whom God has given to those who can come up with a nice wordy prayer every once in a while? No. To, to Who God has given for those who've given a nice check to the church? No. Who is obedient? Obedient. So we talked about the Holy Spirit and the anointing being inseparable. And today, this is called the transverse, multi, or, uh, transverse property of addition. If A plus B equals C, then B plus A equals C, right? Well, I'm about to do some school. <laughs> Flip the letters around and you will find yourself understanding that obedience and anointing go hand in hand. They are inseparable. Can I speak something? Some of us have at one time felt the anointed life and then felt like it has disappeared. Has anyone ever felt that? Were you disobedient? Did your disobedience rob you of that feeling? 
had a season where you were on fire. I would venture to say that in your season on fire, you were connected to the community of believers. You were deep diving into the word of God. You were seeking wisdom from wise counsel. You were praying continually. You were probably fasting at times. You were doing everything that the word is telling you and instructing you to do. And then something came. Either you got lazy because you were on the mountaintop or something hit you in the face so hard that you quit. And then in disobedience, you might have turned back to the old ways. And you're like, where's my anointing at? Obedience. I don't have some tricky sermon for you today. I I usually, at the end of my sermon, I do what's called an application. How can you walk away with something? The only application today is listen to God. That's it. That's it. I, I can't help you any further than that today. But if you felt that on fire thing and you don't feel it anymore, check where your obedience is at. The church wants to walk in the anointing but remains disobedient. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. So then it comes in two ways because I want to talk about obedience because I think it's really important to make a distinction. Are you ready, church? Please, please take notes today so that you can learn something. The church wants to walk in the anointing but remains disobedience. Now, I believe that there's two forms of disobedience. Can one be anointed, go ahead, can one be anointed yet commit to a life of sin? Mm, I see Gianna's face going. (laughs) It's an interesting question. What an interesting question, because we even see David make mistakes. Now, this is where we talk as pastors. Judd and I have had a conversation where we, we want to give you some clarity that we will all make mistakes. Someone say, I make mistakes, but I'm not allied with that kingdom. I'm not in allegiance with that lifestyle. So, yes, I might make a mistake, but I'm not committed to that lifestyle. Do you see that word commitment right there? So if I'm committed to a life, can I be anointed and be committed to a life of sin? Let me give you an example. Can you be a, or hold the office of a prophet, and yet take all of that profit for your greedy self? Can you hold the office of a prophet and yet habitually lie, pathologically create stories? I don't know. Can you be a pastor anointed to shepherd the flock and cheat on your wife every other week. No. Doesn't that rob your anointing? Committed to a life of sin. The scripture makes it very clear. Colossians 3. I want to show you something a little bit different today. Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which, is, uh, uh, which amounts to idolatry. Get these out. Treat them as dead. Cut them off. Whoa. Listen. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of What? The wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience. This is why you may feel, are you ready? In those moments when you do sin, this is why you might wrestle with the question, am I going to heaven? Because your spirit is recognizing that that has to do with the wrong kingdom. 
get your life in alignment. Can I give you some, can I give you the difference between conviction and condemnation? Listen, condemnation is shame and guilt beating you up. Conviction looks at the eternal weight of every decision you make. And so what the Holy Spirit's going to do is he's going to say, hey, Nick, you've been free of that addiction and you went back to that screen. Don't compromise the eternal glory for this moment here. I'm giving you an example. I haven't done that. Praise God. But we understand and our spirit knows that the wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. So when we're disobedient, we go, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. And I don't want to say that's a good thing, but that's a good thing that you feel that because that gives you and I insight that you're part of the kingdom of heaven and you know right from wrong. If you didn't have that conviction, we're in a whole different conversation. On the sons of disobedience. And in them I once walked past tense. Past tense. I once walked. In them you once walked. When you were living in them. Church, we have to mature from just the avoidance of sin. If you've been a believer for decades now, it's time to move on from the avoidance to sin to the adherence of his instruction. Put those dead things to death and start listening to what he has to tell you to do. Because like I said, there's two forms of obedience. There's not, there, there is not doing what you should not do. So Warren, don't touch that stove. Obedient boy, he doesn't touch the stove. Now the hard part is, Warren, go brush your teeth. He easily does what he knows not to do because he's felt the consequence before. But Warren always has a hard time with the instruction. I think the church is in that spot too. I think we can easily recognize, we can easily recognize, oh, this is yucky, I'm not doing it. Oh, I shouldn't write to that woman. Nope, don't do it. No, ah, I shouldn't get to the end of this bottle anymore. I think I'm done with that. Ah, the men were talking about, you know, addictions and, 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 and legacy, so I'm kind of, I'm out on that. I want to get that out. Obedience is not just avoiding the things that you should avoid. Obedience is also doing the things you ought to do. Obedience to the Spirit is not only the avoidance of sin, but also the following of His instruction. There's two forms of obedience in core church. I'm here to tell you, if you've been a believer in the way, the truth, and the life, it's time to start following the instruction. And you're still confused. Why do I feel like I'm not following the anointed life? The rich young ruler said, I'm not doing those bad things anymore. I haven't killed, steal, or destroyed anything. And God gives him an instruction. And the anointed life is completely missed because he didn't follow through on the instruction. So maybe you're missing out on the anointed life because you're not following through on the instruction. You're not following through on the command. You're frustrated because I've avoided these things. I've cleaned my life up. I don't swear anymore, Nick, even when I stub my toe. Good for you. But what about saying yes to the right things and doing what he tells you to do? There's more. It says it clear in James. But prove yourselves doers of the word. And not just hearers who deceive themselves. 
That sounds like disobedience, deceived. That's part of that kingdom that we don't want to be a part of. So if you've been in this church, and we, we're coming up on four years old now. Hello. And if you've been a part of this journey, it's time to start doing. And more than just serve, it's actually time for you to develop a personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, where he tells you to do specific things and you do it. Where there is obedience, there you will find the anointed. Amen, church? So let's go to this. Uh, we're going to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, I want to give you a, a little bit of insight. This message is a little longer one. I know, I know. Track with me because this is vital stuff to your walk. I don't want one soul to miss out on what God has for them. Go with me to the very end. Someone say, to the very end. Oh, we're about to, like, break some walls here. Here we go. To whatever end. Anyways, let's go. What happens when the anointed lack obedience? We're going to look at the, the account of Saul. I know, from field to throne, this is a series about David. Good, let's look at how David became David. Saul had to be Saul. The Lord had revealed, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to go through some pieces, get to 15, we'll eventually get there, I promise. 1 Samuel chapter 9, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him as ruler over my people, Israel. And he will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Do you see the position? The position, he's going to be positioned. Okay, by God's hand, I will reveal to you and I will put him in there, right? For I have considered my people because of their outcry has come to me. What did the people do? They wanted a king for themselves. How insulting to the king of kings that you want someone in his place. But he's like, you know what? Whatever, I'll just do it. <laughs> and when Samuel saw, whoa, that's hard. When Samuel saw, Saul, there we go. The Lord said to him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. So we've been going over the past few weeks about what anointing is. The calling and the appointment were there for Saul. You see it very clearly. Please put this up. The calling and the appointment were there for Saul. He was going to be equipped and positioned for this great heavenly call that was before him. And in actuality, this is very similar to the life of David. You see this kind of, I don't want to say formulaic, but you see this happen over and over again. The calling and the appointment are there. Equipped and positioned. It goes on in, in the next chapter, First uh, uh, Samuel chapter t uh, 10, verse 1. Yep. Then Samuel took the flask of oil. Someone say oil. Look, Masach, this is the same thing. He poured it on him, on Saul's head, kissed him and said, Has the Lord not anointed you as ruler over his inheritance? You see the literal anointing in the Old Testament. The oil, please, please put this up here. In the Old Testament, the oil was literally poured over Saul, and he was actually set apart. Someone say consecrated. Consecrated for a great service. It happened. I think that this should be alarming because he was actually anointed just as David was. He was anointed. Obviously, we're talking in the context of disobedience, so I know y'all are smart. You know where this story's going to go. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Look, the anointing and the Spirit go hand in hand. 
The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, Saul, and you will prophesy with them and be a changed into a different man. And it shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires because God is with you. Look at this. He was fully anointed. I wrote in my notes, all of the evidence, please put this up here, all of the evidence of the anointed life was present. God had, it was God's hands doing it. He said, I'm going to call a man from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm going to bring them here tomorrow. You're going to anoint him. This is God's hand at work. Then he had the oil smeared all over him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Church, he was what? Anointed. He was anointed. God's hand, the position, the oil, and the Holy Spirit, everything was there. So then we get to 1 Samuel 15. Even after all of this, even after the anointing, the oil, even after God spoke to Samuel, even after the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, even after all of this, Saul's act of disobedience would remove it. Someone say remove. So I wrestled with this one this week. And you might be saying, can it be removed? Didn't we preach a few months ago that we could be pulled or drawn away? That we could forego our call? Didn't we just preach that? Nick, are you saying it could be removed? Not by, I'm not saying God's just going to randomly remove things. It's going to be us saying, I don't want it anymore. His disobedience would be the removal of that anointing and the appointment that was placed over his life by God. Nick, can this really happen? Well, let the word preach, not Nick Miller. Go ahead and ask God what he means by this. Samuel said to Saul, now remember, Saul had the appointment, the anointing to go and conquer the Philistines. So he's going to go to battle. He's going to go and fight the Amalekites. The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Oh my gosh, this is absolutely crazy. So he sent me to annoy, anoint you. Annoy you, that's pretty funny. Anoint you. The prophets were anointing or annoying back then. Um, I'm getting all confused with my words. Here we go. So the Lord sent me to anoint you. I have quite literally spread oil all over you. Now what is the first thing I'm going to tell you to do when you receive your anointing? Therefore, what you say, Wendy? Listen. Someone say, listen. Don't dream. Don't go and swing your sword right away. Don't go and act out of character. Don't go crazy. I anointed you. I smeared this oil all over you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Now, listen. That's hard for me. That's hard for me. Therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies says. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel in that he obstructed them on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and complete, someone say, completely is Judd the only one? Someone say completely destroy everything. I got a question for all the geniuses in the room. What does he mean when he says completely destroy everything? Com completely destroy everything. Do we all get that? 
way. All the geniuses in the room, we know, completely destroy everything. That he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Allow nothing wicked in our camp, period. Allow nothing wicked in our camp, period. Get rid of all of it. Completely destroy everything. The first requirement for the anointed king is to listen to God's words. Completely destroy everything. And so I'm going to tell you, the anointed, the believer, the way, the truth, and the life, I'm going to tell you that your first instruction is to listen to everything that God says. More than dream, more than be awesome, more than serve, more than do great things. I'm going to tell you to listen to everything God says. You who are anointed. He captured it. He went. The war went exactly as God had said. I'm gonna, we're going to destroy everything. Someone say, oh man, Saul, come on, bro. Literally three words, completely destroy everything. It's not hard. I could say the same thing to us. Pray continually. It's not hard. Seek wisdom. It's not hard. Humble yourselves and value one another. It's not hard. Isn't it hard, though? So we can judge this guy for completely destroy everything, but some of us won't humble ourselves and value one another. Some of us won't give sacrificially. Some of us refuse to pray. What? Refusing to pray? Ah, so it's pretty hard to follow the commands, isn't it? Now Saul doesn't look to be so silly, does he? So he captured the king and completely destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul... And the people spared the king and the best of the sheep, the oxen, and the more valuable animals, the lambs, and everything that was good. And were unwilling to destroy them completely. Sometimes, oh my gosh, sometimes, sometimes Christians, we make excuses about not doing something. You know that's an intentional choice to be negligent, right? Like it's an intentional thing to do the mistakes that we're doing. Warren says this all the time. I was like, well, how did that glass fall on the floor? Because you threw it, I saw you throwing it across the room. Oh, that was an accident. Buddy, you Kenny picketed it across the room, dog. I saw you. You call it an accident. No, it wasn't an accident. You tried to see what was going on. Oh, 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 it was an accident. No. They were unwilling to destroy them completely. With whatever motive, with whatever they were feeling, they made a choice to be disobedient. Someone say disobedient. Just as you and I make a choice to be disobedient as well. But everything despicable and weak, they completely destroyed. Listen to this. We ought to, go ahead, please put this up there. Spiritually mature from the avoidance to adherence. This is what I'm talking about. It's not that Saul was some crazy sinner. It's not that he went and made a million mistakes. He did not listen. This is why I'm telling you today, you and I, we need to go from avoidance of sin to adherence of his instruction. I pray. I was like in prayer over this message. 
and I'm going to pray this over each and every person in this room. I pray that the same conviction that you and I feel when we sin would be the same conviction that you and I feel when we miss his instruction. And some of y'all are excited for that, but I want you to know that that prayer is a horrible prayer. Because you're not going to feel great. And why? Because you're going to have to repent over missing what he instructed you to do. He instructed you to worship. Now go worship. I don't want to. I'm not a good singer. Okay, go worship. That's what he told you to do. I pray that you would feel the same conviction over a mistake that you would over missing his commands. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. This is a little bit further down. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret. Someone say, I regret. That's God speaking. Wow. Regret is the emotion of which. <laughs> Thank you, Siri, for chiming in. Regret. She's like, I know this man preaching. I regret that I have made Saul king. Because he has turned back from me following, he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Church, I think even whenever we approach the topic of obedience, some churches, most churches shy from talking about sin. Then some churches talk about sin and they just talk about cutting it off. They talk about the addictions, the bad things that we all know. I want to take it further and talk about being obedient to his commands. Disobedience is more than sin. It is refusal to carry out his commands. That's disobedient. Warren, put your shoes on. He wants to put the Pokemon show on. Dude, no. Put the shoes on. A refusal to obey commands. That's disobedience. I hope that wakes some of us up today. As Judd said in the beginning, I think that this could be course-altering for you and I. Please wake up and understand that disobedience is when you refuse to carry out his commands. So Samuel said it. He spoke to Saul. And he said, is it not true that you were insignificant? The tribe of Benjamin was the smallest one and he was from one of the lowest families. Is it not true? Though you were insignificant in your own eyes, that you became the head of the tribes of Israel. For the Lord, remember it's by God's hand, the Lord anointed you as king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are eliminated. Why then did you not obey? Well, I thought it was an accident. Oh, well, we, you know, there was nice things. He actually comes up with some excuses. He actually says, oh, I thought that these would be nice for a great sacrifice to God. Sometimes, sometimes we conjure up in our mind what is obedience to God. When really, that's not it. So here's what I want. I want to hear the Holy Spirit so clearly that I don't miss a word. This is what I've been talking about. Remember we had a couple months ago, maybe a month ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit not being an ethereal being, but a person, and he can talk to you. I have been personally praying every day, Holy Spirit, I don't want to feel you, I want to hear you. And it has completely changed everything about my relationship with him. I pray that you would want to hear him as well, so that when he says, pick up your foot and go right, you pick up your foot and go right, as he tells you. 
Instead, Samuel says, you loudly rushed upon, go ahead, loudly rushed upon the spoils and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. This is where there's a danger in trying to convince yourself that you're obedient. There will be people who say in the church, I don't sin. I don't make mistakes. And quite literally, the word of God says that they make God a liar. Don't try to convince yourself if you were disobedient. Don't try to convince yourself that you were obedient. Call it what it is. God, I made a mistake. I repent. I did obey the word. For I went on the mission which the Lord sent me, and I have brought the king of Amalek and have completely destroyed the Amalekites. Then, uh, but the people, oh, here comes the big butt. But the people took some of the spoils. Bro, get out of here, dog. No. But the people took some of the spoils, uh, the sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things designated for destruction to sacrifice. Whoa, look. He even tries to intend it for good purposes, to sacrifice to you, Lord. To sacrifice to you. I, I thought this would be a good idea. The Israelites, let me say this, were a direct reflection of the authority that they were under. Were they not? Yes, they were. He wanted to do evil. He wanted to keep some of his. He wanted to keep some of the spoils. He fought hard. He wanted some of the nice stuff. And the people responded just as he did. So then, so then Samuel says, does the Lord have his, I wanted to, oh my gosh, church, I want to beat this up today. Can we beat this up today? We sang this song earlier today. What was the first song that we sang? We talked about surely I will bless the Lord. Is that what it was, Lauren? What were the lyrics? Something always changes when I bless your name. Does anyone know what that means, to bless him? Huh? Yes, I mean, that's, that's obviously where this is going. So nice job, Jen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever looked at your kid and been overwhelmed with joy at even the silliest of accomplishments? At even the silliest of achievements? Warren, I've been working with him day in and day out on soccer. He, he is a soft soul, so competition is not his nature. And he scored, and I about ripped my shirt off in front of all these adults. I celebrated more than he did. When he came and broke through and did what we've been training for, for three years now, he has not scored a goal in a literal game. He scores at practice. I'm like, buddy, that's cheating. The net's open, dude. But when someone's competing against you, he did it. And I was overjoyed. That blessed me to see his work come through. Do you understand what this means? Now, if I'm a little man and, and I am fallible and I can understand the blessing that comes from Warren being obedient and pushing through, do you understand what blesses God? Does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, he has complete joy when you listen and you do what he says. For those parents who run and are in a rush to get to church, it is the best day ever when he just puts the shoes on without throwing the football across the house. It's a whole brand new day. 
Behold, to obey is better than a sacrifice, and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. So in other words, you can try bringing anything that you want. You can try singing the perfect song. You can try giving the greatest amount of money you can. But obedience is what blesses him above anything else. God is blessed by obedience. Please put this up here. You have a little bit to write, but I want you to write this down. God is blessed by obedience. Yes, he is. It is what gives him joy. It is what makes his heart full of delight. Your obedience to him. So you might think, worship leaders, where's my worship leaders at? Singers. You might think that filling the space and singing the song perfect is what blesses him. But really, I might have missed on a moment where he told me to be silent and let the service go still. That's what blesses his heart. Complete obedience. Complete obedience. His heart is not delighted by the perfect song, the generous tithe, or the wordy prayer. Obedience. Why is it blessing to him when when we obey? Obedience has to do with the heart posture. And that's why he delights in it. Because it shows that we truly are paying attention to him, that we are truly valuing his word above our own, that we're truly choosing him over ourself. Isn't that powerful? It's like, to me, this is so inspiring. If I know that God gets delight from obedience, I want to go and obey, and obey all the more. If this is what makes you happy, my Father in heaven, I will do it all the more. I know it's really hard for me to do, but I will be obedient. And then comes the flip side. So we get the encouragement and then the warning in the same breath. For rebellion is as reprehensible as the sin of divination. It's witchcraft. Leaning on another power to miraculously move in your life other than God himself. Divination. For rebellion, your disobedience, my disobedience is as reprehensible as the sin of divination. What? And insubordination is as reprehensible as false religion and idolatry. Church, do you see the severe consequences of disobedience? This is not sugar-coated here. To be disobedient oh, is as reprehensible as these things, which we are told in Exodus, that it actually says in Exodus chapter 20 that, I believe it's 22, that witches or anyone who does witchcraft like this ought to be put to death. And it's saying that when you're rebellious, you're acting like that. Since you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Whoa, your act of disobedience, since you rejected me, that anointing is gone. Out. I, I said this last week and I'll say it again and I think that this is so, I found some fresh revelation on this. That the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan are so diametrically opposed. In other words, they are in continuous opposition. No matter what happens, they are completely opposite. One says up, the other goes down. The one turns left, the other turns right. They are in complete opposition. They are so opposed that disobedience to the kingdom of God is considered obedience to the enemy's kingdom. 
Anyone want to be disobedient to God in this place? No. If you understand that obedience or disobedience in God's kingdom is considered obedience to Satan, please be very careful. Now that warning is so heavy that some of us are like, oh my goodness, I'm doomed. I feel that right now. Conviction, eternal weight, understanding, Holy Spirit, I want to know your voice so I don't miss a word you say. Amen, church. I don't want you to be scared after this message. I want you to be drawn even closer saying, Holy Spirit, I don't want to miss a word because I refuse to obey the enemy's kingdom and I will obey you to the very end even unto death. Amen, church. Then Saul said to Samuel, I know, I know, we're going. Keep tracking with me, church. We got this. I have sinned for I have violated the command Wow, the command of the Lord and your words because I feared people and listened to their voice. He finally opened up and was honest. I have violated your command. What's crazy about this command is he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the instruction that God gave for him. I have feared the people and listened to their voice. Now then, please forgive me of my sin and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. I I ask this question, who is the Lord over Saul, people or God? Who you fear is what you will revere. You fear approval of man, man will be your king. You fear approval of God, you will reverentially hold him in his proper place. So Samuel said to Saul, I won't return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And what you'll see in further passages is the mantle of king was then to be removed. Nick, that can really happen? Let the word preach it, not me. Nick, that can really happen no way. Let the word speak and not me. And I want to encourage you today, if this message is hard, go read this account and find for yourself. So Samuel turned to go. Saul grasped at the edge of his robe and it tore off. And so Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. I don't, even, I don't even know what to say. I know what I want to say, but I can't. <laughs> wow. It was removed. And how, here's a good question. Here's a way to say it. How was David better? Saul slayed people. He was a, a, a victor in war. A young man, handsome, and actually calls him handsome as well. David was better only in the realm of obedience. Not in any skill, not in any stature, not in any wealth, not in any prosperity, not in wisdom, not in knowledge. No, no, no. He was not better in any significant way. I'm sure there was some disparities between the two of them and their character. But ultimately, David was known as a man after what? God's own heart. That's it. Obedience. That's why he's better. Obedience and disobedience, they directly impact the anointing or the appointment that was set before Saul, the anointing that was over Saul's life. Obedience and disobedience will directly impact your anointing and your appointment as well. 
I'm here to tell you some hard news today that obedience or disobedience will greatly impact your appointment as well. Then Samuel, he went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah uh, of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. Though Samuel mourned for Saul, uh, I love this, or, or, or I thought that this was pretty crazy, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king. Um, I, I do want to say that there, it's rare that you see that God regrets something. But that's the harsh reality of what he felt over disobedience. It would be Saul's disobedience that would lead to David's anointing, however. disobedience. It was removed. It was a regret. And it was gone. So this whole series, I have not shared the next verse in verse 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. I wanted to wait for this moment. So Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of all of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord. Where the anointing is, the, uh, the spirit of the Lord is, right? The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel went out to Ramah. Wait, read that last line for me. Now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. The anointing is present where the Spirit of the Lord is, and the Spirit left Saul after his disobedience. The Holy Spirit is found, church. I want you all to remember this today, that the Holy Spirit is found where the obedient heart is. A disobedient Saul would be removed from a kingly call. Call me Eminem. Hello, I rhyme all the time. It would remove his kingly call. So my one encouragement to you today, as you who believe and profess the name that you've given your life to Jesus, just as Samuel instructed Saul, now listen. For you who are anointed, who are marked with the Spirit of God, and that comes whenever you place your faith and your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the deposit is given, guaranteeing what is yet to come. If the Holy Spirit resides within you, then you are anointed. Now to my anointed brothers and sisters, my one instruction to you today is therefore listen. Someone say listen. Now look to your neighbor, tell him you better listen. You better listen, Mark. You by yourself right now. You better listen, my friend Shannon. You better listen, babe. You better listen, all right? Where there is obedience, there you will find the anointed. And while I exist, I do not want one soul to miss out on everything that God has for them. And so church, my friends, my brothers and sisters, I want you to listen not only to put to death the sin, but also to listen to the command of God. Amen, church. Can I pray for y'all? Way to track with me, church. Y'all did it. Thank you, Jesus, that we can hear your word. Thank you, Jesus, that we can listen to your voice. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present in me, that you've been smeared. Your presence is all over me, that I am anointed. But I pray that your voice, your words would be heard clearer than ever before. I pray every person in this room would go home asking to hear you clearer than they ever had. And then... 
I pray for conviction to strike every heart that if there is anything in anybody in this room that they have been habitually disobedient to, that we would give that up right now, whether it be a sin that needs to be shed or whether it needs to be an instruction that we ought to follow. I pray that that conviction showing us the eternal weight of disobedience, that we would then turn immediately around and become fully obedient to not just one word. Someone say every word. To every word you speak to us. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can be obedient. And we thank you for the grace that you have for us in the process. That we don't have to be perfect tomorrow, but we can begin that the mercies are new even this morning. Thank you, God, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We hope you were able to draw closer to him today and can walk away with a deeper knowledge of his word. At CORE, we believe you aren't meant to do life alone. Visit us at corechurch.com to learn more about how to get involved with our community through serving opportunities and our weekly events.